Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Time to have our friend Tim Brown join us today for some football archaeology on one of the great Heisman winners of the 1930s and his special season and special stature. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And as we try to do every Tuesday, we like to go on a little archaeological expedition. And we go to the man that has the website, Football Archaeology, uh, Timothy Brown. Uh, Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren. Thank you. Appreciate uh, having me again. Looking forward to digging into a few things tonight. Digging is right. We were, uh, you know, interested, and we were talking about this before we came on, uh, about one of your tidbits, uh, you know, some of these, they're all stimulating, but some really catch my eye and i uh, love to hear a little bit more on. And this one came from later in October, and it's uh, called Standing Tall for the Heisman on October 23rd on footballarchaeology.com. And I was hoping maybe you could say a few words about that uh, subject matter. Yeah, uh, you know, happy to. Um, so the standing tall is, you know, it's basically about a guy named Davey O'Brien, who was a Heisman Trophy winner in 1938. Um, but he was 5'7". And, you know, so we all know, we all went to high school or grade school or whatever with some guy who was too short, but he was a heck of an athlete. And, you know, just the guy was a stud, but eventually he kind of met his limits athletically and, you know, in terms of competing against, you know, bigger players. And even in high school, a lot of guys that size can get away with things. And here and there, we've got an NBA or an NFL player who does it. But back then it was a little bit more common, you know. And so, so Davey O'Brien was, you know, like I said, was five, seven, grew up in Dallas and he succeeded Sammy Baugh as the quarterback or the center of the uh, the Dutch Myers TU spread offense. So, you know, I mean, we like to think the spread is this brand new shiny thing that all these smart, you know, modern people created. But but back in the 30s, in the late 30s, Dutch Myers was running offense that had two basic formations. One was had a single back, the double wing and two double split ends. You know, so just think about that. A single back, double wings and two split ends. 
right? So that looks like a lot of people spreads nowadays. He also ran, he didn't call it this, but he ran an empty formation with trips on one side and a wing and split on the other. So, and he ran the ball on this offense a lot. Hmm. So, um, so I mean, it's ran it especially out of out of the one back formation. So, I mean, it's just the idea that these guys, TCU is doing things well before anybody else in terms of just bringing modern uh, spread horizontal concepts to football. So you get this guy, uh, Davey O'Brien takes over for Sammy Ball, who's a stud. Um, and, you know, it's back in single platoon football. So O'Brien played both ways. He wasn't just this little, you know, uh, the dinky quarterback that uh you know just ran out there and was protected against being tackled hard and stuff like that you know he he was a player he was a blocking back he punted you know he was their primary punter um and so i i kind of i'm going to say this next thing with a little bit of caution as a senior he set a, the passing yardage in a season record ncaa record he also set the record for combined rushing and passing by an individual in this season. Now, that was a 1938 season. And the NCAA only really started tracking statistics in 1937. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, yeah, okay. You know, but nevertheless, I mean, the point was really is that what he was doing so far ahead of almost anybody else, right? And so... And just one little side note to the statistics thing. The statistics wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the NCAA did this. It was this separate guy named Herman or Homer who uh, who created this entity called the American Football Statistical Bureau. And then it, 22 years later, sold it to the NCAA. And so all of the football records of the NCAA were actually com- for the first 22 years uh, were compiled by the separate company, you know, so his company started in 37. And so if you look, look at any NCAA record, they start in 1937 you know, <laughs> from this guy's records. Anyways, Davey O'Brien was a stud. Uh, so he finishes his senior year uh, winning a national championship. He's the Maxwell and, and Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he then gets drafted by the NFL. Uh, the Giants take him number four in the 39 draft. He leads the NFL in, in uh, passing yardage as a rookie, though they only won one game. Comes back as a you know, second-year player. Um, again, has a great season. They only win one game. <laughs> uh, and then he says, I'm done. And he quits pro football, becomes an F- FBI agent, and he does that for like 10 years and goes into various business adventures, you know. So anyway, it's just a, kind of an interesting thing. You know, there are very few NFL players who leave today to become FBI agents, right? Especially when you just led the league and passed them. Uh, right. But, you know, different times, different place. and uh, Different pay scale. <laughs> yeah, different pay scale. You know, but, and, and well, here's another thing about it. Uh, to that point, he was the fourth Heisman Trophy winner, but he was the first one to sign with the NFL. The first 
first three didn't even bother. But just oh, that's right, yeah. Huh. You know, they were coming from uh, University of Chicago and two guys from Yale, and they were like, "Hey, I don't need this NFL thing. I've got better, you know, business opportunities." And so, you know, none of the first, you know, neither neither none whatever of the first three hires played in the NFL. Yeah, you really have to go back and really admire uh, people that played professional football, especially those first like uh, five or six decades, because they really did it for the love of the game and the love of the competition. Uh, they weren't getting rich by doing it. Most of, you know, I think almost all of them had to have a, a, a regular job in the off season and, and things like that. And it's just, uh, you know, it's an amazing uh, thing that, to think about that where today, you know, that's, it's their whole life and, you know, they're they're set for life after playing a couple of years yeah. and yeah, yeah I, mean, they, I, I would say you know they they did make significant money compared to the average worker right and for some of them it was just like today i mean i get in arguments or i got in a recent argument or spat with some cfl fans um about the talent levels right between the nfl and cfl and you know the the CFL has you know tremendous players. I mean, and they're they're gifted athletes, but they're I, in my mind they're just not anywhere near NFL uh, caliber. I mean, yeah, some of them are bottom end NFL players, and that's fine. But um, but the point is that even in the CFL, they can make more money playing as a 24, 25 year old young man in the CFL compared to getting out of school and whatever, becoming an underwriter or, you know, whatever, whatever it is you do when you leave school. Right. Um, now, if they were chemical engineering majors or something, yeah, they can make more money doing that, but you know, not many of those are playing football. Yeah. So. You know, I think that that's a pretty good parallel. You know, I didn't even think of that maybe not even the CFL, but maybe some of these, these other leagues that are coming up, you know, like the, yeah the XFL and uh, you know, the, the spring league. And now, now the USFL, now some of those, you know, those guys aren't making much at all uh, compared to their, their peers in the, the, the bigger leagues, you know, like the NFL and the CFL, but they're doing enough to, to make a, a you know, living and get by. And uh, you know, hopeful their hope is to advance into the NFL. And I'm sure that's and, probably and, the, the yeah, goal. And I, and I think that's it. It's the hope it, it's keeping the hope alive. Right. And then there, then there's kids, probably more like D three sort of kids, but um, you know, there's there's a decent number of American kids now are heading over to Europe and playing, and but it's more of a cultural experience, and they're not making big money. I mean, literally, they're making. I know one kid who played in the NF or in Europe last year, making like eight hundred, a thousand bucks a game, but he got into an NFL camp this year, you know, and got cut, hmm. but you know, he made a camp, and so. You know, uh, but but I think for guys like that, it's more like, yeah, I got a chance to play in Austria, live in Finland for six months or something. You know, it's it's a life experience rather than a, a money money grab, you know. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, definitely interesting lifestyle. And when you can do the thing you love and travel, hey, why why not do it when you're oh, yeah. a young person? Oh, yeah. you know? Any day, any day. Right. Yeah, good, like, and good for them. Good for them. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I don't care what what, what love you're playing playing if you're still taking a shot at it have at it you know absolutely yeah, yeah so good for you yeah love, love to hear that 
All right. Uh, well, Tim, why don't we take this opportunity right now to, uh, you know, just like this was a tidbit on Davy O'Brien, uh, you have some very interesting things coming out each and every day, sometimes multiples in a day. And uh, why don't you share with folks how they can get on, on your list to, to get this information? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my site is footballarchaeology.com. You can go on there, subscribe. And what that means is you'll get an email uh, seven o'clock every day. And then some other days you'll get more than one, but, um, basically you'll get at least a daily email that, uh, provides some information. Um, and if, if not there, then you can, um, I mean, you can always visit the site just, you know, randomly, but, um, you can also, uh, follow me on Twitter at football archeology. span And, uh, so whichever, however you consume information, however you prefer to view it, have at it. Um, more than happy to have people uh, check it out. All right. Well, Tim Brown, Football Archaeology, thank you once again for joining us this week and talking about some more great football history and uh, some of these uh, great uh, things from the past that maybe are overlooked, uh, but we're glad that you're researching them and uh, bringing them to our attention. And uh, we'll love to talk to you again next week. Very good. Look forward to it, sir. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.